Have you ever had, uh, had it where you were reading the comments section? Like you were, read the article and then you read the comments down below or you uh, saw the Reddit thread and there were, then there were the comments or you had the social media post and then you accidentally read the comments or the blog post and then you read the comments and, and you can just tell that people are trolling, right? They're just, they're just trying to get you riled up and I, I fall for it every time. I fall for it every time. I try not to read the comments. I try to just read whatever the main thing is and not get into the comments because I start reading the comments and I get riled up. And I refrain from responding to them, but it just riles me up to read the comments. They, I know, they're trolling, right? They're, just, they're trying to get me hooked. They're trying to get me riled up and they are so good at it. But Jesus does not fall for it. Right? Jesus is, is in the temple. He's still teaching. Right? This is um, the week between when he has arrived in Jerusalem and is just a couple of days before he is going to be crucified. He knows that he has come to Jerusalem for this purpose and the people around don't understand. Right? They don't understand. There are people who are super hyped that Jesus is here that Jesus is teaching, he's been doing miracles, they see how awesome the crowds are around him, and there are just people that are so hyped, there are some that think that he's going to become the king. Man, I think he's the Messiah, and he's going to be the, the new king of Israel. And then there are others that are very suspicious of him, and are wondering what he's about, and if they can trust him, if, if, if they can believe the things that he says, if he's actually good, did he actually come from God? And then there are some that are just, they just don't like him. They just don't like him. They just wish he would go away and stop drawing so much attention, right? And so those ones are coming to him, and they're, they're just trolling Jesus just to see if they can get a rise, just to see if they can get a reaction out of him and if they can get the crowds to turn on him and if somehow they could get him to lose favor. And so we've been seeing this, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we've been seeing various people come to him and ask him questions, seeing if they can stump him or trick him or trap him or make him lose favor with people. And so now today we have another group that's going to do the same thing. In fact, it's the same day. Matthew chapter 22, verse 23 says, And the same day Sadducees came to him, who say there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question. Now, before we get to their question proper, let's just address who the Sadducees are, right? Matthew wants to make sure that at least we know that they don't believe there is a resurrection, Right? That's the most important thing for you to know as they are about to ask their question. This is a sect, a, a group of priests, and uh, they, they only hold to the first five books of the Bible. They only hold to the first five books of the Bible. The rest of the Bible, the rest of the Old Testament, they, they thought maybe was a helpful commentary, interesting history, perhaps useful in, in the life of a believer, but is not the authoritative word of God. The authoritative word of God is only the first five books as written by Moses. That's what the Sadducees believed, okay? And they don't believe in resurrection. They don't believe in resurrection. Can, can you blame them for not believing in resurrection? I mean, I've, I've never seen somebody raised from the dead. In some ways, life is very robust, 
And in other ways, life is very fragile. Very fragile. It, it only takes a short period of time for the blood to stop circulating through your body and you are dead. Right? And you cannot be resuscitated. You cannot be revived if that happens. Life is really fragile. And we can't, we can't even with all of the medical advances and things that we have, we, we can't um, invent life. We can't just create life. We can't bring a body back to life once it has died. Once they're, once they're dead, that's it. It's over. It's it. We just we cremate them or we stick them in the ground. It's done. It's done for them. Life is really fragile. And these Sadducees looked at life and they observed the, the things that were happening around them and in their own experiences and the people that they knew who had died and not one of them had ever come back to life. Not one of them had been raised. They had never had any experience with anyone ever who had been raised from the dead. And so they know that there are those who, the Pharisees, um, and others who believed in a resurrection from the dead, but the Sadducees, they didn't hold to a resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe that. But they didn't like Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. They didn't like what he was about, and he seemed to be on the Pharisee side of things. He seemed to believe that there was a resurrection, and so they went, aha, the Pharisees couldn't stump Jesus, but we'll We'll bring out our favorite question, the question we're always asking Pharisees. So here they come, saying, verse 24, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. This is the premise. This is the premise. Now, we can tell that the question is going to revolve around resurrection, of which Matthew wants us to make sure that we understand the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. So they're going to ask him a question about the resurrection to try and trap him, to try and stump him, and get him to uh, trip himself up in his own words. And so they are trying now to pit Jesus against Moses, right? Jesus, teacher, wise one, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, then his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, th this was... This was a way of continuing a family line, right? This was a, a way of continuing the honor of the legacy of the family. It was a way to pass inheritance on from generation to generation and to keep the family line going. So that if a man was married to a wife and, and the man died and they had no children, then his brother was to come alongside and bring honor and legacy for his brother and his and his sister-in-law, right? To, to provide for inheritance. That's the way that this was supposed to go, so that there would be uh, that legacy, that honor, both for the wife and for the husband who had died when they had no 
children. They had no progeny, had no legacy, could not pass the inheritance on and keep the family name alive. And so the family was supposed to do this. And you may remember, if you've read through the Old Testament, you might remember... uh, this happening with Tamar, right? Some, some, there was some stuff that happened there with this issue of the family not being willing to raise up and honor her by providing her children when her husband had died. You might remember uh, the story of Ruth and Boaz where they had this kind of a relationship where Boaz was a, a kinsman and he would come, it, it, they called the, the kinsman redeemer. He would redeem her state as widow so that she could have children. Okay, so these were a couple of examples in the Old Testament of this actually happening, but the the command or instructions from Moses was that this was what was to happen. And so now the the Sadducees are setting this up and they're going, Jesus, you remember, right, that this is what Moses said? Moses set this up, right? And Moses set this up so that they might raise up offspring for his brother. It's interesting, this word that they used, raise up. It's the same word as resurrect, anastasis. It's the same word as resurrect. What they're essentially saying is, Jesus, isn't this really what resurrection is? Isn't this really what eternal life is? It's not actually that I am going to be raised up to everlasting life but that my name, my progeny, my line will carry on. That's where eternal life really is, right? It's in the memory, in the family, in the heritage, in the carrying on of my inheritance. Isn't that really what eternal life is, Jesus? That the children would be raised up after us? This is not an uncommon belief, right? There are many people all over the world that consider this to be the eternal life, the legacy, the remembering of me. That's really what eternal life is. And that's what the Sadducees hold to. That this is all that there is. This is our experience of it. And the only thing that we can do that will have lasting impact is to have uh, have a legacy that we pass on. And so they say, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring left his wife to his brother. So too the second and the third, all the way down to the seventh, And after them all, the woman died. So they want to make sure that we understand these were all legitimate marriages. There was nothing weird happening here. There was nothing weird happening here. This was the way it was supposed to go. This is the way it was commanded or instructed by Moses through the Torah. This is the way that it was supposed to go. And no one really had more claim on another. None of them had children with her. All of them had legitimate marriages. All of them ended in death. And so this is the question then that they have. 
So too the second and the third, down to the seventh, and after them all, then the woman died. Now, in the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? Because they all had her as a wife. Who's Jesus? If there was a resurrection and they were raised, wouldn't that be awkward? Those brothers all just staring at each other and staring at their wife? That'd be weird, Jesus. And we know that these instructions came from Moses, which means these are the words of God to us. This is the way that it's supposed to be. I don't think God would do something weird like that, do you, Jesus? Isn't it really just in the progeny that that's where eternal life is found? In the legacy, really? Because otherwise, you get really weird things like this. You get really weird things, Jesus. What would marriage look like in the resurrection? It's just, it doesn't make sense. But maybe you have a good idea. Maybe you know the answer. You're so smart. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will, they, will she be? For they all had her. Now Jesus' response, verse 29. Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. <laughs> Ouch. You are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. He says, look, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. Have you ever gotten into an argument with somebody where they're like, this doesn't make any sense or this is so dumb, I'd hate that this is how it works? And you're like, oh, that's because you don't understand how it works at all. You don't understand how it works at all. You've talked with somebody about a sports thing that you know about, or maybe you have a hobby that you understand and know how these things work, and then somebody is telling you, this is a dumb thing, I don't like this at all, and you're like, oh, okay. What do you do then, right? Do you explain it to them? Do you point out to them how dumb they are? How they don't have any idea what they're talking about? Do you troll them just a little bit? I mean, these are the people in the comments section, right? What do you do with somebody like that? Where they're talking and they say something and they're very passionate and emphatic about it, about how dumb this thing is, and you're just like, oh, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. You don't understand how this works at all. At all. And that's where Jesus finds himself here. He finds himself going, well, the reason that you're so wrong about this is you don't understand the Scriptures and you don't understand the power of God. Guys, do you understand who God is? Have you not read the first five books of the Bible? You're only holding to five of them. Why don't you bother to read them? 
Have you not seen the way that God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing? Out of nothing. He put life into things by breathing, breathing into it, and then there was life there. Did you not remember that? Do you not remember the promises to Abraham? Do you not remember that Abraham and Sarah were very old and could not have children? And yet God said, I'm going to give you kids. You would have laughed at God. You would have laughed at God. You'd never seen an old person like that have kids before. But do you know what? God can do that because God has power, great strength. Do you not remember the way that God provided for his people when there was famine? Do you not remember the way that God provided for his people and delivered them out of slavery in Egypt? Do you not remember how God provided life in the desert by bringing water out of the rock for his people so that they could have water to drink and stay alive? Do you not remember that they were hungry and so God brought bread down from heaven for them? Do you not remember that they wanted meat instead so he brought quail? out of the nowhere into the middle of the desert, and they ate as much as they could handle till they were sick of it? Do you not remember that he brought them to a promised land? Do you not remember that he gave them that land? Do you not remember that this is the power of God? Have you not read the scriptures? Do you not understand the power of God? Do you not think that God could raise the dead and not be bothered by a little thing like marriage? You don't understand. You have missed it completely. Do you not realize that God brought man and woman together in marriage to be a picture of what his relationship with his people is like? And when we get to the resurrection and we enter into the presence of God and no longer have these sinful bodies that are separating us from him, we no longer need the picture because we have the reality. We have the reality of the glory of God and being in His presence like the very angels do. Like the angels do. They're continually in His presence. Now, we don't know a ton about angels. There's not a lot about them in the Scriptures. These spiritual messengers, spiritual beings who are in the presence of God and are uh, instructed by him to do his bidding for the service of God's people. I don't understand how all of that works. I just see how awesome it is for them to be in the presence of God and see his glory and all that he's doing and how, uh, how excited they are to fulfill his every desire. To go and do all of his bidding to serve His people so that they might uh, respond and love God. And in the resurrection, He says, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. When we are resurrected, it won't be exactly like this life. It won't be exactly like this life. And there are some ways in which you probably look at that and go, I'm really glad for that. And there are probably some ways in which you look at it and go, 
I really like this. I, I don't know what it would be like to not have this. For some of you who may have good marriages and have been married for a considerable amount of time, you may go, I can't imagine life without my spouse in the way that I know and have intimacy with my spouse. The way we know each other so well. The way we support and work together. I, I can't imagine what that might be like without life without them. But what Jesus is saying is when we get there, when we get to this resurrection, it's not going to be like this. It's not going to be like this. There's not going to be giving and taking in marriage. We're not going to have that anymore. We're going to be in God's presence. So he says, so you just, you just don't get it. You're completely wrong about what resurrection is and what it looks like. That's why you're all goofed up about it. But the fact that there is a resurrection is certain. In fact, he says, verse 31, as for the resurrection of the dead, as for the anastasis of the dead, have you not read what is said to you by God? Verse 32, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. Now, there are other places that Jesus could have gone to, other scriptures that Jesus could have gone to. The Pharisees might have gone to the book of Daniel in chapter 12, where resurrection is very clear, very clearly taught there. But the Sadducees didn't believe in that. And so Jesus brings them instead back to the Pentateuch, right? The first five books of the Bible, the books written by Moses. They had tried to put, pit Jesus against Moses by talking about the resurrection, which they didn't see anywhere in the first five books. And so they tried to pit Jesus against Moses, and instead, Jesus goes straight back to Moses and says, I'm not even just going to go back to Moses. I'm going to give you the very words of God through Moses. That time when in Exodus chapter 3, Moses was walking in the wilderness and he sees the burning bush and that burning bush is burning, but it's not burning up. It's just like constantly on fire and Moses goes, what in the world is this? And he goes up and realizes that he is in the presence of God. And this is what God says, Exodus chapter 3 verse 6. And he said, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This is the very words of God himself as recorded by Moses from his encounter with him. And Jesus says, don't you remember that part? I am. This is hundreds of years after the death of Abraham. This is hundreds of years after the death of Isaac, hundreds of years after the death of Jacob. And yet God says, I am. I am. 
I am the God who created them. I am the God who is their God. Not was their God, not has been their God, but I am their God now. I am the God of life. I am the God of life. Jesus says, he's he's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living What could the dead offer to God? They could not offer any obedience or or worship to God. They could not offer any sacrifices to God. They could not offer anything to God if there was nothing left. And yet, He is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to this day. What Jesus is saying is that even still, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are with God. They're with Him. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Can you think about the implications of that? The implications that there absolutely is a resurrection? Doesn't that change things? Doesn't it change priorities, the way that we think about stuff? Any time that I'm thinking in a broader scope, right? If I'm, if I'm thinking about what do I need to do for today, I have plenty of energy and resources for just the stuff that I need to do today. If I was going to be dead tomorrow, whew, this would be an easy life, man. But what if I continue to live beyond tomorrow? What if I need to have resources and energy not just for today, but for tomorrow, and the next day, and the day after that? What if I live for a long time? Then I'm going to have to prioritize differently what I do and how I live today. But I think that very often, like the Sadducees who were nihilists, who believed there was nothing after death, after death I'm done, that functionally we become nihilists. We, we functionally act as if when we're dead, it's done. There's nothing after that. We're not living as if there's something beyond. We're not living as if there is a resurrection, but we're living as if this is all there is, and so I might as well maximize this for now. That also changes the way that we interact and relate with God, Right? I mean, if you think about the Sadducees and the way that they interacted and related with God, if they didn't believe in any kind of resurrection, then all that we can hope for is that God would make our lives a little bit better here and now. That's what we can hope for. We we can pray, God, can you help me by providing for the here and now so that my life is not as difficult as it is for me currently? Would you bless me? Would you make it better? But if there is a resurrection from the dead, then I am less concerned about what's happening here. Because this is just, this is just a preview. Whatever happens here is just the preview, the, the, the thing that comes before. It's like watching the previews for a movie and then leaving, right? If, if you were to watch the trailer for a movie and then you walked out, and we're like, well, that's it. You missed the show. No, I saw the trailer. That's not the show. 
You missed the whole thing. All you saw was a little bit of it. You just got a peek, but you missed the whole actual thing. That's what happens for the Sadducees and for people who don't believe in a resurrection is they miss the entire thing. They're just looking at this. This life, these struggles, these blessings, these joys, these sadnesses, these sorrows. And they're just stuck here. Sometimes being stuck here is great. Sometimes being stuck here is awful. But I want to have a hope, like Jesus has, that there is certainly a resurrection. And I want to live as if there is certainly a resurrection. That I am expecting that this is not all there is. In fact, that when I... Excuse me. When I get done here, I will be in the presence of God and I will see His glory and His majesty in a way that I can hardly fathom now. Because when Jesus gives the indictment to the Sadducees, you don't know the Scriptures or the power of God, I am afraid that that would speak to me, right? That He could land that same blow on me. When I go, God, I don't understand. What are you doing? What are you doing? I don't understand why my life is so hard. I don't know why I have to go through these trials. I don't know why there's so much suffering in the world. I don't get this at all. And God goes, that's because you don't understand the scriptures or the power of God. Yep, I I guess that's true. I don't understand the scriptures and I don't understand the power of God. Because I just look at what's going on here and go, this doesn't make any sense. This doesn't make any sense. And God says, that's because you don't understand how this relates to eternity. And you don't understand my actual power. My actual power to bring hope to the broken. My actual power to redeem the things that are lost. My actual power to bring judgment and justice in areas where it is needed. You don't understand my actual power. Oh sure, you pray from time to time. God, would you help me to be healthy? God, would you help me to have a better day? God, would you help me with this test? God, would you help me with this trial? Would you help me with this person? God, would you help me with blah, 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 blah. But I want to have the prayer of Moses. God, would you show me your glory? Would you help me to live in light of eternity? Where I'm not just thinking about today and tomorrow or even next year, but that everything I do is in the context of the expectation of a resurrection with Jesus. Can you imagine this from Jesus' perspective? They're asking him this question, Jesus, isn't the resurrection a little bit ridiculous? The idea of resurrection? Jesus, God himself in flesh, has spent time with Abraham already. Now is here among these ridiculous people who don't understand anything. 
knows that he himself is about to die just a couple of days away. And then is himself going to be resurrected. He's looking at it, going, you don't get it at all. You don't get it at all. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And verse 33, when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. The Sadducees had been pulling out this question all the time, right? When you were reading the comments section on any Pharisee threads about the resurrection, the Sadducees would have this comment underneath. Oh yeah, what about uh, leveret marriage in the book of Exodus? How would that work in resurrection? Ha, ha, ha. Nobody had been able to give him a good answer before. Well, in the book of Daniel, there's definitely resurrection. We don't believe in the book of Daniel. Try again. And Jesus says, oh yeah, have you heard of the book of Exodus? Have you heard of Moses? Have you heard of God talking to Moses? And the crowd went, oh, oh. Did you hear what Jesus said? That thing that the Sadducees are always asking, Jesus had an answer for that. And they are astonished. Can you imagine these crowds four or five days later? Remember how Jesus interacted with those Sadducees? A couple days ago, he was having that argument in the temple and he said there was a resurrection. Well, guess what? He proved it! He proved it. Remember how he had that argument and two days later they hung him on a cross and killed him? Guess what? Three days after that he rose from the dead. He's been resurrected. He was resuscitated? No! Resurrected! New kind of body. New kind of life. He is raised to a whole new kind of life. Their minds are blown. And Jesus knows all this is coming, even as this question is being asked. And we get to look back on it now, and yet we function like nihilists, like, well, this is probably all there is, because I've never seen anybody raised from the dead before. And Jesus' condemnation is, have you not read the Scriptures? Have you not read from Moses? Have you not read from Daniel? Have you not read from Matthew and Mark and Luke and John about the resurrection? Have you not read from 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In fact, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most 
to be pitied. What do you think faith in God is for? Is it to make us better people, kinder people? Live a more blessed life now? Be able to pass on good things to our children and leave a good legacy? If that's all this is for, then we of all people are most to be pitied, that we are deceived in that, that we are putting our hope in something that is false. But if Christ is raised from the dead, if in fact, verse 20 of um, 1 Corinthians 15, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive, but in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And that is awesome news. That is the power of God that the Sadducees were missing. That is the power of God that I don't want for anyone here to miss. That Christ has really been raised from the dead. And because he's been raised from the dead, we also have hope of eternal life. Oh, we deserve death because of our sin, but that was put on Jesus. And so our sinful lives are put to death with Jesus in his death. So that when he's raised up to new life, we can be raised up to new life. And we have hope of an eternal glory with God on high because of Jesus. And that's the hope that I want you to have today and tomorrow and the next day. And I want you to live with that hope and that knowledge of the power of God every day until we see it for real in his presence. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. We want to believe, but sometimes it is hard to believe in your power and in the resurrection when we haven't seen it. So, Father, we ask that you would remind us as we read your word, as the, whole, you, the Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit, Lord, we pray that you would show us your glory, that we would be confident in your power, that we would know and understand who you are, so that we might turn from our sin and the hopelessness and futility of this life 
and put all of our hope on you. Lord, we ask for your grace in this, in Jesus' name, amen.